You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. We are live in Albuquerque, New Mexico on this beautiful day in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, it may be overcast, but it is very clear. You can see Mount Taylor. You can see the volcanoes. And we're expecting some cold weather. I'm kind of excited about that. So we welcome you all, those who are live here physically present and those who are physically present looking at us through screens. We're glad that you're here. Has anybody seen any negative political ads? It is impossible to escape these things. They are everywhere. I think it's all the mail we're getting. It's all that seems to be on TV. Have any of you seen any positive political ads? Hmm. Uh, hmm. Don't, don't know if I've seen anything. Now, why is that? Why is the negative so much the focus right now? I mean, I think if we took a poll, how many of you actually like negative ads? I bet none of us would want, well, maybe there'd be someone. But I bet most all of us would not want these kind of negative ads, right? So why is it that negative ads come up? I think because they work. They get in our minds. It's kind of hard to even prove. Is it partially true or totally wrong? And it just kind of begins to mess with us, and it begins to reinforce what's negative. It reinforces fear. reinforces what's bad. It's pretty easy for us to lose our purpose, to, to, to not find our way. Now, I don't know if, if any of us gets up in the morning and begins to figure out, how can we do evil? How, how could I be more negative today? It's not on our to-do list. We don't sit down and make a checklist of all the, well, you know, there may be someone that might do some planning of evil. In fact, yes, Gru. You guys know Gru from the movie Despicable Me? If you don't know him, here's how he's introduced to the world in the first of these movies. Grew. And that's how the world gets to meet Gru, the supervillain, who even outdoes bad drivers who are running over little old ladies by running over everyone. Now, Gru's definitely someone who gets up and plans and plots evil, but for the most of us, do we really do that? I think a lot of times the evil that we do comes because we lose perspective on how our actions influence others, for good or for bad. And maybe we lose sight of the harm that we might cause. In this series that we started uh, one session ago, How to Lose Your Purpose, I'm kind of taking a flip side look at purpose. How to Lose Your Purpose is not a normal way to go about uh, looking at something in Scripture, right? I'll, I'll, I'll assure you that I looked and thought about a number of ways of titling this. In fact, I thought about doing purposelessness for dummies, but you guys are not dummies. And in fact, losing your purpose happens even for smart people. Smart people can have a purpose, be focused and directed, and yet have lost their purpose, have lost a sense of good focus in the world. So whenever we started uh, two weeks ago, I gave you the first rule of how to lose your purpose, and it's to believe that life 
doesn't matter. Life doesn't matter. Whether it's your work or your relationships, even your religion or God, life doesn't matter. And just to begin to assume that there are no consequences for your actions. Well, that brings us to to this week's rule, and I'm going to give you part of it at the front here. The second rule of how to lose your purpose is to plot evil, to plan it, to connive it, to organize it in your mind. You know, whenever we do this, we, we, we don't really think about taking over a world economy. We don't think about how to blow up the server at our business. We don't think about how to murder or kill our enemies, right? It's not usually these big things. Sometimes it comes in little ways. Well, more on that in a moment. For now, let's stand for a reading from God's Word from Micah chapter 2. And even though we're standing, I'm going to invite you to put protective bubble wrap around yourself, get that airbag, because Micah is tough to swallow. Are we ready? Micah chapter 2. Alas for those who devise wickedness and evil deeds on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it's in their power. They covet fields and they seize them, houses and they take them away. They oppress the householder and the house, people and their inheritance. Therefore, says the Lord, now I am devising against this family an evil from which you cannot remove from your necks. And you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. On that day, when they take up a taunt song against you, wail with bitter lamentation and say, we are utterly ruined. The Lord alters the inheritance of my people and how he removes it from me. Among our captors, he parcels out our fields. Therefore, you will have no one to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach, they say. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? Is the Lord's patience exhausted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to the one who walks uprightly? But you rise up against my people as an enemy. You strip the robe from the peaceful, from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war the women of my people. You drive out from their pleasant homes and from their children you take away my glory forever. Arise and go, for this is no place of rest because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If someone were to go about uttering empty falsehoods, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, such a one would be a preacher for this group of people. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the survivors of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold. Like a flock in its pasture, it will resound with my people. The one who breaks out will go up before them, and they will break out, and they will pass by the gate, going out by it, the king will pass on before them the Lord at their head. The word of the Lord from the prophet Micah. Thanks be to God. Now, I see this as a movie. 
not quite like Despicable Me. It's a 3,000-year-old poem, but it is a movie where a country preacher who came just southwest of Jerusalem comes in and imagines this court hearing where he calls all the nations of the world to this court hearing. And he, Micah, the country preacher, steps forward as the attorney with his plaintiff, who's Yahweh, who's God. Two other people that are there are the people of Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, and the people of Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom, and all the nations of the world watching this court take place. And Micah doesn't come with a gentle message. He doesn't come with a positive self-help message. In fact, it could be said he's quite negative. He's really bringing everything down. And here, as he brings his message, in the first five verses, we get his woes. Woe to all of you. And then in verses 6 through 11, we get this street fight that breaks out between Micah and people that have a different view of the future. And then finally it closes with, with God's picture of what God sees is coming in the future. Well, if you look with me in the first few verses, Micah's message is, look out, watch out, watch your backside, you who plot evil on your beds. Well, your bed's a pretty good place to plot evil. Now, I know none of you have done this, stayed up at night thinking about how to get back at the person, what words you might say, making some kind of a plan or a scheme. Well, that's what's happening. Plotting on their beds how they're going to take property and homes. Well, uh, there's lots of places that you can plot evil. Makes me think of a commercial years ago of a bunch of people in business attire, business suits, business professional attire, and they're all in a shower. And fully clothed, the shower is on them, and the CEO is saying, all my good ideas come to me in the shower, so that's why I'm having this meeting here. Now, I don't know where your planning or plotting comes, but for these folks, it's planning in their beds. And they are planning through a sleepless night to take property, seize it, maybe through manipulative gains, working the real estate market, working government ordinances so that they could take the property. Maybe it's good property for income. It's a good position, a good location. Or maybe it's a house in an appealing neighborhood with good schools, with nice lawn. And they figure out a way that not only they can take it, but in verse 2, take the property and oppress the people that owned it. Put them into service for you. That's the circumstance. Well, in verse 3, we get a thus saith the Lord. Micah says, thus saith the Lord, Yahweh is devising evil against you. Now, wait a second. Okay, it's one thing for us to plot evil, but now we have Yahweh plotting evil? That's right. I mean, this is not your Sunday school picture of God. This is not going to make it to a VBS theme. It's not really a child view of God. But for adults, it's very good. God sees them plotting evil, and God begins to counter them by scheming evil against them. A yoke on their neck, which for them, Micah has already predicted the downfall of Samaria and the downfall of Jerusalem. He's already predicted that their countries are going to fall apart. 
And this yoke is of foreign oppressors who will come in and take over their governments. Foreign powers. It gets worse. Micah kind of turns things into late night television. Are you with me on this? Where he has God sitting at the desk of the late night show making fun of his people. Taunting them. And even worse, he has as a guest on his show the captors, the foreign countries that are going to come in and take over his people. Taunt them. Now I need to give you a little refresher. None of this has happened. So these jokes from behind the desk, what Micah is preaching and saying, people look around and everything is just fine. The economy is good. Their military defenses are fine. Their fortresses are in good order. Everything is fine. And so Micah's jokes and Micah's words, they fall completely flat. And everyone just hears it as negative advertising. Well, that's when the street fight breaks out. Now, I don't know in verse 6 if this is an in-your-face, very hostile street fight. I don't know if it's calm. I'll just go with calm today. In verse 6, people come to Micah and they say, don't, don't preach this way, Micah. This is, this is not going to happen. Take it, take it down a notch. This is not what is going to happen. Stick, stick to your prayers, Micah. Stick to Scripture or to temples and sacrifices. Don't get involved in business and politics. We can take care of that. You just tone it down. It goes even deeper than them just saying, calm down. They use great theology. They use scripture. They use Bible, Exodus 34, to express, hey, look, this is not going to happen. This disgrace is not going to take place. We're talking about God's people, the people of Jacob, verse 7. And they say things like, is God's patience exhausted? No, we all know God is a patient God. God promises to do what's good to the upright, and we're upright. So take a chill pill, Micah. It's all okay. Go back and read Exodus 34. Well, in Exodus 34, the place when they're, where they're given the law, we learn some really important things about God. That He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy and steadfast love. Right? He's faithful to the thousandth generation. And He is quick to forgive. Well, that's great, but Micah says, look at the context and keep reading because it also says in Exodus 34, yet God will not clear the guilty. He will punish the parents and the children and the children's children. Why? Because they have stopped caring for one another. They are claiming and seeking mercy to cover their own corruption. And Micah stands up and says, wrong in this street fight. That's not it. God's grace is not enough to protect you to continue to do evil practice. And he goes on to more things. You are stripping people of their coats as they innocently walk by. You're taking innocent women and moving them from their homes and separating them from their children. That is not good. And Micah takes it even up further and says, you know what? This promised land that God has given you, this place of rest, 
verse 10, God is going to give it to captors. And captors are going to divide up your lands. No longer will you get to have your inheritance. God himself will take it away. And they just hear all this, and they hear it as a negative ad. I think the real stunning line comes in verse 11, when Micah punches one more time and says, you know what kind of preacher you want? You want the kind of preacher that will say, cheers to your evil. Wine, strong drink for everyone. That's the kind of preacher that you want. Well, I told you that our rule for today, rule number two, is plot evil, which is only part of the story. Of course, we can think about how we might scheme evil and plot evil, but there's a bit more to that rule. Plot evil and assume that because God is on your side, that God is going to protect you. Now here's where it gets a little more uncomfortable. When we plot evil and then claim that God is going to protect us, God is going to speak up and speak up boldly and harshly. And this is where I have to look at myself and we have to look at ourselves because Christians are sometimes this way. We hide under the cover of our Christianity and continue to do things that support evil. So let me give you some examples. We need to take stock of how it is that we uh, draw our income. Sometimes even the things that we invest in, companies or stocks, are involved in things that are less than godly. And it's wise for us to pay attention to how our money is working. You know, Christians sometimes will use that cover of Christianity to cloak practices. Well, yes, we're going to foreclose on these people. They're just a bunch of drug addicts. Yes, we're going to seize their homes because these women have not made good decisions with their lives. Or even think more personally, like I have. Whenever we've had to do something on our home, either to remodel something or to repair something, and we push for and against uh, illegal immigrants, but yet we look for the cheapest prices to get things done with companies and businesses that involve people they don't take care of because they can pay them cheaply. And if they get hurt or if they're in need of health care, you can dismiss them. See, it's kind of easy to think, oh, I'm just working for the best price. I just want the best contractor. When in fact, our choices of how we spend our money affect other folks. Sometimes we even think, well, we don't need to care about that group of people because they're less than human. I'll give you a really personal example. I had some friends, some Christian friends, who were wanting me to be involved in this investment. And you didn't have to put in a lot of money, and it had a very high return. And here's how it worked. Uh, homosexual patients who were needing treatment had life insurance policies that they could cash into this company that would put them all in a basket. And what the company would do is give them instant money for their treatments. And this is true of a lot of different uh, diseases. Like cancer, this happens as well. So you trade in your life insurance policy, the company gives you money so you can pay for your treatments, and then when you die, it's a big payout a big percentage payout to all the investors because the patient or the family doesn't get the life insurance policy. And so I had to ask my friends, let me get this straight. So I'm investing in this and they get the treatment that they need, but I need to root for them to die in order for me to make money. 
do we ever stop back and think about how our choices and our practices influence other people? You see, grace cannot be an excuse for us to hide inside of evil, a license for doing evil, a, a free pass to go places that, well, I'm a Christian, God forgives. I can cheat on my spouse, I can fudge on my taxes, I can hide some assets here and there, and I don't have to care because I know that God is going to forgive me. I can round down the hourly wage of my workers. Folks, these masters, especially the master of money, can God provide grace? Yes, he can, but sometimes that grace is giving us over to that master, giving us over to the kiss of pleasure, giving us over to those things that numb us to reality. And we need to step back and stand back and see who we're standing with and standing for. I'm really thankful that finally in Micah, we get to something that's hopeful. Because all of that is like sucking the air out of the room to think about things like this. But in Micah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we get a hope. We get hope where God is planning to gather his people together. That God is the leader the shepherd of his people, and we get behind God. Man, if there's a message we need right now, that's it. Getting behind God as our leader. Allowing Yahweh to be the one who breaks through. Allowing God to be the one who's at the head. Now, you and I both know there's a lot of angst right now about this election and about all that, that's in the air right now. And I, I just wanted to be clear that as Christians, God is our leader. What's true now and what's true after this election is that God is sovereign. He's the one in charge, and he's the only one we have to fear. Right? And what that means is that during this election, some people are going to vote Republican for Christian reasons. And that's okay. Some people are going to vote Democrat for Christian reasons, and that's okay. Some people are even going to vote independent because they just don't like the choice. Maybe they're going to write in Jesus into their ballot because they just don't like the choice. And as Christians, that's going to be okay. There will even be some who say, I can't vote at all because my conscience will not allow me as a Christian to vote for these folks. And folks, we need to understand that that is okay. God is not tied to one candidate. That's very important. Even when Christians tell us such and say, this is the most important election of our lifetime. It seems like they say that every time. Or to say, here is the Christian candidate. Folks, we serve one God. That's it. And a story and a, and a history like Micah shows us that God is not tied to one nation or to one candidate for sure. That God is going to be God. And God will use foreign governments, he will use others to get his will out there. And what we need to do as people is be bound to pray for these leaders. 
to be proud and to pray for them as flawed people because they are flawed like us. We need to hold ourselves to the highest ethical standards and we need to hold those that we elect to the highest ethical standards. In time, it all works out. Trust me. God has said repeatedly that what we reap is what we sow. We don't have to worry or be caught up in anxiety or angst or tie our emotions to the success of one candidate or another because God is our God. And we are a people who are following Jesus. Here at First Christian, that's what we're about. We follow Jesus. And verses like this one in Micah 2, verse 13, about getting in behind the king who will pass before us with the king being ahead over us, that's where we need to dwell. What if we become a people who plot good? Who plan good? Instead of devising and scheming up evil things, we reject evil in all of its manifestations, in all of its form. Because we serve a Lord who went into the teeth of the political system and laid down his life. Who went under the armhold of the religious system of his day. Who even his closest betrayers walked away from him. And he didn't seek to defend himself, but laid down his life. That's our Lord. That's who we serve. And hopefully we will not be like the supervillain Gru. We will not be looking for ways to ruin children's lives or run elderly people off the road or push our way to the front of the line. We will instead be people who are plotting good, pursuing what is good and right and true, who are looking inward, even at this time, when we're focused on the negatives of everybody else, but to look inward and see how is that a distraction from the evil in our own lives that we're covering up and squelching and not wanting to deal with? How can we come with hands open to a gracious God whose grace acts in many ways? Sometimes in judgment, but it's only for our good. And sometimes in great mercy when we are too hard on ourselves and need to be lifted forward. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being such a good God. And thank you for giving us history like Micah, where even 3,000 years ago, it speaks to us today. It challenges us today. Father, we pray that we will be a people who seek peace, who pursue peace, who stand for what is good and right and true in all its form. Help us to fully engage one another in conversation, but to allow for difference, allow for different views. We pray for the leaders of our church, for the leaders of our country, and for all the world leaders. May we more and more attune our lives to the sound of your voice as you call us forward into the future. We pray all this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forever. Amen.